with issue for all women. Hello, Hannah here and welcome to this week's Sunday Chops in which I am talking to Australian comedy pairing Kate McLennan and Kate McCartney. You might be familiar with some of their earlier stuff, web series The Catering Show or ABC's Get Cracking. But if you're in the UK, you'll likely have recently encountered their work by watching Deadlock, a new comedy drama series on Amazon, which they created and wrote together. So I got on the Zoom with McLennan and McCartney. Honestly, what a great name for a twosome. And we chat about the murder mystery come comedy series and a lot more besides, including Australia's relationship with the C word, which we say a lot. Now, I don't usually warn about swearing on this podcast because we often do it. So the fact that I'm mentioning it, well, let that be an indication of how often that we say it. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Is it baking hot there? Not too much, I hope. Until next time. Hello, the Kates. Thank you for joining us. And thank you for doing this in the evening in Australia, meaning that I didn't have to get up at 3am to do this. It would have been a lot less fun for me. I don't know how I'm going to differentiate between you because normally I use people's names. But since you are both Kate, maybe one of you could put on an extreme comedy accent for me yeah. or something. Oh, not a problem. <laughs> Thanks for having us, by the way. Um, oh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> and we would never make you get up at 3am. <laughs> We've, we've we done usually... that before, breastfeeding children, and we would never make uh, someone do that. Yes. We usually go by McLennan and McCartney. Just um, I'm Kate McLennan, and we just go no. by surnames. Yeah. Don't but I've got a slightly lower timbre. Is timbre the right word? Probably not. And yeah, you I sound like a little little child. Yeah. Really? does. Okay. <laughs> okay. Maybe not at eight o'clock at night. We'll make it sound like eight o'clock at night. Oh, it's eight o'clock. Oh, it's very late. I mean, it's like we're in Tasmania, which I want to get to. Before we get to deadlock, for those listeners who aren't familiar with your work, you've been in a partnership for years. So I wonder if you could tell us how you first met and what, outside of the opportunity to be McLennan and McCartney, made you want to work together. We met, I don't know, in our 20s. We both started doing comedy around Melbourne in our early 20s and sort of accidentally got into a few television comedy pilots and comedy series. And but never at the same time. Never at the same time. They could only ever have one one Kate Mook. We sort of talk about how each of us were involved in ill-fated sketch comedy shows and so it's like one of us would have a stink about us and not get cast mm. in the next one. So we mm. sort of just used to alternate. We'd heard about each other. But we, yeah. We, we were across each friends. other. Mm. We finally met when we were like 30 or something. We did have the same agent for a while and we still do actually, not for a while, forever. Yeah. And you used to get my mail, didn't you? You're like end of financial year pay slips. Yeah, and you were always making, you were always making, yeah, it was $5 more than I was getting, that's for sure. <laughs> that comedy career in our early 20s didn't really kind of take off, particularly for me. I stopped doing comedy for nearly, oh, I don't know, seven or eight years. And then in my early 30s, start just honestly, I just started cracking jokes on Twitter and McLennan found me. She stalked me. Yeah, I thought she was pretty funny. mm, And then... The truth comes out. I did. I thought you were funny. And then (laughs) I asked her to work on an idea that I'd been developing and it turns out McCartney had also been sort of developing an idea that was sort of fairly similar. And so we kind of just joined forces and we started working on a pilot together for a, a concept that we had that was, you know, the classic 
you know, hot mess, early 30s girl. What am I doing with my life? Oh, God. No career. It was like, you know, we were like, wow, (laughs) this is so original. And subsequently we... We've realised. <laughs> by the time we that, you know. did get, we made a pilot for it, but by the time that we made the pilot, I was six months pregnant. <laughs> Just this. Like, and we I had a six-week-old baby. Yeah. yeah we were very I was like, this is stages. not. We weren't resonating is... with that project. Yeah, and then we just kind of, while that was sort of happening, we we started making this web series called The Catering Show. It was like these, you know, six, 10-minute episodes and that's kind of where things took off because we were, we were just performing as ourselves in those, which we hadn't done before. We hadn't performed, you know, pieces to cameras ourselves before and so that was the first time. Yeah, that was just on YouTube and that sort of took off and from there, you know, we did a show called Get Kraken, which was like a, a parody of a morning show that was on the ABC here in Australia. So we did two seasons of that. I've been watching some of those this week. And actually, what's particularly great about the timing of that was like our big daytime TV show um, this morning is currently going through like a massive scandal. And I was like, oh, man, I wish that we had a get cracking on air now in the the UK because they would be making a lot of hay. To research that show, we watch clips from all sorts of morning shows around the world. Mm. And we reference that show so many times and those like the dynamic of those two and just, you know, and that classic clip with the Italian chef. <laughs> like there were so many interviews that were from that morning show that we were just, you know, we did reference it. I apologise to your country that you're having to go through this, this traumatic breakup. <laughs> mm. Yeah. It, Changing of the guard. It's mad. It feels really Americanized. It feels like a really Americanized way to deal with this. You know, firstly, are you okay and all of that? It's just, it doesn't feel like a British scandal. It feels oddly like an American scandal that's happening in Britain. Yeah, like the fact that it's actually resolved itself. It's like, surely, you know, normally it would just continue for like the next 50 years and yeah. it would only be and then, you know, after their deaths that you'd find out. About Someone had mentioned that. that the... yeah. yeah, that's the British way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's get back to Deadlock because it's mm. about, essentially, it's about a working partnership. So tell me, did you get through a lot of your own stuff while you were writing it? I think we did. We might... We've made a, a conscious choice, hadn't we, mate, that we would we would step away and, you know, that we wouldn't be in front of the camera for this one. But I think we really wanted to write something that kind of dispensed with the idea of this male genius mm-hmm. detective. <laughs> and, you know, and we kind of, there's a lot of jokes in the series and also just like the relationship between these two women. That, like obviously we felt very comfortable writing jokes for to women who were, you know, just batting jokes back and forth because that's sort of our comfort zone, I suppose. So that sort of felt very natural for us to to create that relationship with Eddie and Dulcie, our two detectives in the case. Yeah, we really were interested in that idea of having characters that work together rather than, you know, these women being pitted against each other because mm-hmm. we just sort of didn't feel like that was our experience of the world. Um Certainly, as we're older. Yeah. And also, we kind of wanted to just analyze the tropes of those sorts of shows. And a lot of, you know, a lot of the time there is this sort of central genius who you can't crack, who, you know, and across, across sort of every creative field, I'd say there's always some, there's the myth of the creative, the, the male genius that we just weren't sort of, yeah, we just wanted to interrogate that a little. Well, you've done it well, I have to say. Now, talking of writing it, I have seen some photographs of the two of you writing this from what looks like a tent in the street. 
And I know that there is a good story that goes with that. So I wonder if one of you could tell me it. Yeah, so we're based out of Melbourne. This is McCartney speaking. We're based out of Melbourne, which had at one point endured the longest lockdown in the world. And it was a very strict lockdown. We were only allowed to leave the house for an hour a day for exercise or to have a picnic. We weren't allowed to go over to each other's houses. It was, you know, there was a, I can't remember how many days we accrued, but it was a very long time. And as it happened, it coincided with us trying to write this series. So we had our children on us. You know, everyone was trying to work from home at the same time. And also we were trying to homeschool. So that was fun. And (laughs) we ended up, the only way we could figure out to write was to take our children who were very good friends who were the same age, take them to the park and set up a camping tent. This was in the middle of winter, so it was raining. And sit in a tent and you know, try and get like two hours worth of work if it was allowed. I think at some point the window became two hours so we could be outside for two hours. But, you know, as long as we could get, we would write. And then we'd go back home and drink. (laughs) (laughs) Sometime last year, a woman, I think it was someone from school, like one of the school mums just (laughs) said to me, yeah, I saw you and the other Kate in the park, in the tent. (laughs) And I thought, are they living at the park (laughs) it's just sort of like well things were bad but they weren't that bad like we weren't actually living there in the tent but we'd fallen on some hard times the two women from the catering shop yeah (laughs) Yeah. I mean that's even more of an achievement that you got it done at all you write comedy that is your bag crime writing is a very very different skill altogether and you can take a murder mystery and you can make it a musical or you can make it a comedy like you have or you can set it in space no matter how good all of the Mm. stuff surrounding it is if the murder mystery itself doesn't work then the whole thing is for nothing so that must have been quite daunting how did you go about doing that (laughs) Uh, yes, yes and yes, and it 100%. Was <laughs> it was very hard and we cried a lot. So we started off kind of in a 15-minute format with one of our shows and then the next format we went to a half an hour. And when we originally conceived of the idea, it was more of a, of this kind of, of the deadlock. We originally thought it was going to be more of a strict parody of a police procedural and would only be half an hour. So there wasn't, it wasn't going to eat as much story but as we went through the process of writing the second series of Get Kraken and I think we sort of just grew in confidence in terms of what we were able to achieve, how we were able to kind of blend genres together and how we were able to allow space for serious moments and comedy moments and all the different sort of textures that, you know, you can get within one show if you work hard and cry. And, <laughs> um, yeah, so we ended up, deciding to make it an hour-long show. And at the at the beginning, we, we didn't really know, which necessarily meant that we, it needed to have a good crime engine to it. You can't, you can't invest in, you know, the, the characters that are going to maintain an audience's interest for half an hour are quite different to the characters that are going to maintain an interest in an hour-long show and the, the narrative, you know, the stories that they're working through. Mm. That's not the right way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, you know what yeah, I mean, working through. Just, you know how characters work through stories. I don't know. They work through shit. Yeah, they work through they shit. They work through shit uh, in real time. Yeah, it did feel like there was a challenge set for us because we were like, if we need to have an hour, like if we're going to sit within this hour, then we, we need to make this crime story really bloody good. Mm. And so yeah, and 
the stakes were elevated and we needed the characters to kind of play the stakes of the situation as well. And so that kind of flipped it really from like we needed to take the crime seriously. And so we've treated it very, very seriously. And we, you know, we were kind of like, this is the challenge that we need to pull off. And yeah, and so we worked with some people who had worked in crime writing, but really we kind of had to find out how to do it for ourselves. And, you know, so it just involved a lot of trial and error in terms of the scripts. And we just, we we wrote the scripts like each episode sort of went through many drafts. We had sort of had other writers that were writing it as well, but then as we actually got the full series written, you know, things would shift and so then the whole episode structure would change and so it became this very, like a very precise science of sort of, okay, where, you know, this is what's happening at the end of this fourth act in episode five and so that will shift what's happening at the end of, you know, episode seven and just, you know, it became a delicate balance in how we kind of managed it all. Once we decided we weren't going to sit outside outside the genre, we were going to sit within it, then, you know, some of the some of the um, tropes of that genre we wanted to investigate, but other ones we wanted to kind of lovingly reference. Mm. And so it became a conversation again about can we do comedy and then drama? Can we do comedy and drama at the same time? Can, and it became a conversation that sort of existed for the whole production like down to the sound design and down to the grade and and all those sorts of things interestingly this just reminded me that we we ended up working with a really fantastic crime writer in the very early development days when the show was only meant to be half an hour and oh no it was meant to be an hour at this point but this lady lou fox um who actually worked on Broadchurch, she sat in a room with us and said okay divided up the whiteboard into four or five acts i can't remember how many was it five Oh. And she said, okay, so tell me the story of your of your one-hour pilot that you've written. And, like, we'd pissed this thing out. We were so proud of ourselves. We're like, it's actually very easy, very, very <laughs> fucking easy to write to write an hour-long crime. So you have a problem, Lou. Let's just tell you this fantastic story that we've written for the pilot. And um, so she started to write down the beats in within the acts. And by the time we'd finished the entire plot like all the plot points for our one hour pilot we hadn't even filled up the you know the first two acts of the show according to Lou she's like yeah you're gonna need a bit more story and we're like okay (laughs) so that was our first lesson but yeah really it was kind of just like learning on the job really there's lots of things I can't say about this because of spoilers but there are naked dead bodies and they're not women was that important to you to put some sort of feminist critique of crime drama in here yeah, when we started watching it was during that sort of renaissance of Scandi Noir mm. um, shows. So, you know, all those ones that were sort of named after infrastructure. So like, you know, the bridge <laughs> and the tunnel, you know, all those sorts of the something. It just became very, the, the tropes, you know, because we were watching them sort of back to back when we were when we were breastfeeding children at like literally 3am. And for some reason, we both just gravitated to watching crime shows at that point as we watch them you sort of you recognize the tropes after a while and we just were so sick of seeing cold white tits on a slab Mm. in a mortuary you know with two fully dressed men or three fully dressed men having a conversation over the top of them we started to think about what we were doing when we started to work on get kraken which was a parody of morning shows, but I, and I can't speak for what morning shows are like in the UK, but they represent a very small slice of what Australia is these days. Mm. They're very, very 
right wing. They're very white. It's very straight. It's very cis. It's all these sorts of things. And within Get Kraken, we wanted to put in that morning show people you wouldn't normally see in a morning, in that sort of morning show context. And in the same way as we did that with Get Kraken, I think it was really important to us to populate this show with people who are normally marginalised within shows like this or marginalised identities or communities or, you know, and intersections of those as well. And victims. Like I think it was... Victims, yeah. It was important for us to kind of give a voice to the people who would normally be portrayed as victims in these shows. And so they were the characters that we were interested in and, and living with those characters. So, yeah, you know, it was about like keeping them alive yeah. rather than... Yeah, and letting them be able to tell their story. Can I ask you in that case, because this is set in Tasmania and, and, I mean, perfect setting because Tasmania is, having been there, I can say, got this really, really dark history, but it's also mm. got this kind of level of... of eccentricity about it that makes it sort of ripe for comedy i remember i went to brunei island once and it just blew my mind how it's the best (laughs) how completely out there most of the people who live there we we have never been recognized more than we were on the ferry over to brunei really (laughs) and this is like years ago as well i just i don't know i I love us. Part of that story is the story of the First Nations, because, I mean, this is a particularly sort of unpleasant history in Tasmania. You have included that, which is great, but, you know, obviously also you are not from that community. So it seems to me that it's possible to stumble into a load of landmines while you're doing it. So how did you tackle that? The way we approach are stories that aren't immediately our own identities. Like we only have so many stories within us that we can represent or identities that we can represent. And so it's just about consultation and making sure there's representation within the room in terms of kind of creating those stories and also permissions and keeping, sort of, you know, members of the Palawapakana community involved from where to go. Yeah. It just was, yeah. it was a constant conversation. We weren't going to include a storyline if they didn't feel comfortable with it and if they yeah. didn't feel like it was useful. We don't have a right to that story. We had sort of said at the start of the the process that we kind of wanted to set a place for the table and this place of, you know, that story at the table. But we were kind of also very open to the idea of, like you said, Makani, if people weren't comfortable in, with us sort of talking about it, then we wouldn't. And we started working with a writer from down there. His name's Nathan Maynard. He's a, a Paloma man from down oh, there. And, he plays um, Ted the Excavator. He plays oh. Ted the Excavator. And so he was involved, you know, from the word go in the writer's room. And then when we actually cast the actors playing the roles as well, and this is something that sort of, you know, probably happens, you know, later in the process when you're making television, when you do casting, but it was really important to us that those actors felt comfortable with what they were saying and that they had a hand in developing those characters as well. So we sort of did create the space for them to collaborate with us in creating those characters. So there's an, an incredible performer called Katanya Maynard who plays... Um, Miranda. 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 Who has um, like a beautiful monologue in episode five and she wrote that monologue with us. And it's just, yeah, so that we felt very, very privileged that they felt comfortable to sort of share their stories with us and to to share that experience with us so we sort of we feel incredibly privileged that that was something that we we know we were able to do in this show um we kind of don't take that for granted at all no not at all can we 
we talk about swearing? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I love dropping a C-bomb as much as the next woman. But even I was surprised by how many you were allowed <laughs> to put in deadlock. I mean, it's truly an, <laughs> an H- so much. HBO-level <laughs> cunting going on. Thank you. <laughs> and given that Americans are way less accepting of swearing than yeah. Aussies are and the Brits are... How did that conversation go with Amazon? Did you did you have to fight for every cunt, as it were? A little bit. We did, yeah. I mean, we were very, very, very supported by the immediate team from Prime who we worked with, who absolutely backed it, who absolutely understood the kind of rhythm and cadence and, you know, that, that we sort of, you know, that we use in our in our writing. Lyrical, almost, I'd say, um, and um, and um, there did come a time where the standards, kind of the international standards, people got involved. I can't remember the name of them, but they're you know the internal prime people it's got like involved. The final like, kind of checks and balances, mm, that kind yeah, of which just, just before you're about to shoot. So this was honest like- to God, like the cameras were being, you know, the batteries <laughs> were being put in, and you know the lighting was being set up and. You know, people were just getting lip gloss on. That was kind of where we were at. And they were like, what's this now? The uh, swearing? <laughs> and so during pre-production, we had to write a, like an essay basically that defended why we wanted to use the C-bomb as much as we did. And and, and Ben Chessel, the director. Like when you're saying C-bomb, like you're saying C-bomb. Oh, well, yeah, like I know, but I just, but you, but didn't we just say C-bomb? I said C-bomb. We just said C-bomb. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Would you want me? But I also I'm said just, cunt I was following your. Time, so, you I was following your. Oh, cunt. Well, cunt. We had to write. Yeah, okay, cool. So we had to. Um, cunt, like, it was all the swearing. Like, it's. It know, was all the swearing, but, like, obviously, they took particular issue with cunts. So Ben Chessel ended up, who, by the way, was the first block director. So he, he was a little busy um, <laughs> it, because it was in the final week of pre production. So he, he wrote an essay about the Australian use of cunt. And its importance to our vernacular. I'll keep it that online. That'd be really interesting to. Uh, <laughs> yeah, to it was really good. Like yeah. because there was literally like, I don't know if you know, but there was like a in the Northern Territory, there was a there was honest to God there was a there was a ad campaign which was CU in the NT. Oh so right. So it was, yeah. And it was, yeah. So it's so the the in that was written very small. So it was just very like, small. C-U-N-T. So it was just CU NT. And, they knew and that what, was absolutely. They knew what they were doing, yeah. and everyone was like, "Oh, classic gear, very <laughs> funny." And you know, it was so it's it's so ingrained. There's a relationship that I guess that we have to that word that I guess is you know it can be really endearing. Like he's like, mm. "Oh, I can't." How are you going? And just you know, and we have. He's a funny cunt. Yeah. He's a shifty step. cunt. Yeah. You know, it, like it's, I think it's you guys, UK understands. Different. Scotland understands. Well, you know. Scotland in particular. When we did Get Kraken, we had to, we, we called them decoy cunts, which was where we would put in, we'd smatter a script with cunts that we didn't really care about. So that so we take them out. And then we pretend to be upset when we had to take them out huh. so we could keep the one we actually wanted. But with, with Amazon, they were like, no, just. Once, once we got through that process, read the essay, yeah, they were, they were convinced. They were like, absolutely convinced. I think they thought they were, maybe that there was a perception that maybe they were being racist if they made us take them out. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, as we all know, exactly how racism works. <laughs> <laughs> now, I have one last yeah. question that I really want to ask you, but I can't 
because spoilers. We're oh, only, we're only four in. So I'm going to ask you what you're doing next in the hope that perhaps I can do an interview with you about that in the future and then I can come back and ask this question now everybody's seen it. What have you got lined up? Will there, will there be more Deadlock? Is that something you're looking at? I mean, we'd, it's a- we'd love there to be more because we did write the show as like an anth... Well, not write the show. We pitched the show as, you know, an anthology that it would be some characters that will move on to another story. We'll have to wait and see how that all goes. So, you know, for the time being, McCartney and I are just kind of knocking around, just trying to think about, you know, well, if we did another one, what would it be? But mm. then also toying with other ideas. So we've, we'd like to write a mm. comedy film. That's our sort of, we keep talking about that, that that's something that we, we would like to do. So that's, yeah. um, that's kind of ticking away in the background as well. I have to say, we'll from see. the outside looking in, Australian comedy looks does look in really great shape. Obviously, you're on the inside looking out, so maybe the picture is different there. But the amount of really good quality Australian stuff that we see over here now is is on the rise. I think that's yeah, that's interesting great stuff that's being like. There's a show that's about to be screened on the ABC over here called Gold Diggers that. One that Madeline Sami, who plays Eddie in the show, Mads directed um, a block of that. And Catania's in that too, Catania Maynard, who we were speaking about earlier. And so this, like what I'm sort of noticing also is just how it does seem to be a moment for projects that are like featuring really, really funny women. Like it does, like that's, yeah, that's something that's, I think just fantastic that's going on at the moment. I think, you know, there's obviously there's room for more. Like, I think there's some, yeah. you know, there's, I don't know, there's just a lot of incredible stand-up comedians that, you know, mates of ours that, you know, people like Anne Edmonds and Geraldine Hickey, Celia Pacola, like there's just like this wealth of talent that we have over here. So it, you know, I feel like it'd be great for those guys as well to get some, like some of their projects, if, you know, if they've got stuff ticking away as well. Mm. Like it's, yeah, it does feel like there's, there's a lot going on, but I think there's, there's room. I think, room yeah. I think we certainly, within the industry, and I can really speak for myself, but I, I certainly felt like there was a shift once streamers became a thing here. Mm. Once we stopped, because we prior to that we didn't have that many networks, there was really only one that was commissioning comedy with any sort of budget. But then, you know, they had to be careful about what they were commissioning as well. Mm. Whereas with the streamers, f- firstly, there's just more. <laughs> And that's really been that's been fantastic. But also, there's already a precedent for international audiences watching things from different parts of the globe and being comfortable with that as a thing. And so, the streamers, it does feel like they're more comfortable going, okay, what is your unique viewpoint? What is the thing that you want to say? And how do you want to do it? And how is that particular and different? And it means that ideas are being transferred to screen probably slightly more authentically because there's not the mm. sort of the fear mm. that um, people aren't going to like it or people aren't going to understand it because everyone's so much, the world is so much more literate in watching uh, shows from different regions now. Yeah. Lockdown certainly helped that. The yeah, amount of people I, totally. I know that said to me, oh, I, I don't like watching stuff with subtitles either because, you know, I, I, I can't concentrate on it at that time of night or for oh, whatever God. reason. Yeah. And then obviously four, five, six months into there being nothing nothing new on Netflix, everyone was like, mm. okay, I am going to watch this drama for Belgium. And it opened world television up a bit more. And maybe the writer's strike will 
add to that a little bit as well. There's going to be a need mm. for TV. Probably exactly the sort of thing that will benefit Deadlock. We'll just yeah, that's good, it. isn't it? They, they won't have, they'll, they'll be forced to watch us. Well, you'll stay on that reel for longer because like, sometimes I see something and I think, oh, I'll watch that. And then the next day, it's not even on the carousel anymore. Yeah, yeah, just, it drops yeah. off so quickly. Yeah, it really I keep does. forgetting that the bear exists. Oh, that's great. I keep forgetting. I know. I know it yeah. is. I've heard it is, but I just keep forgetting it exists. Uh, Every, like, six weeks I go, shit, the bear. i got to watch the bear. Yeah. And I still I, haven't done it. Have you seen Barry? Yes. Yeah. Heard, like that, The uh, is it the fourth season or the third season where Sally gets a TV show and it's on the streamer and she you know, wakes up and she's got 100% on Rotten Tomatoes and she's on the homepage of the streaming service and then yeah. like an hour later it's gone and it's it's over, like it's over. And it's like that to me does, <laughs> that is one of my fears. <laughs> it's like you feel like, oh, yeah, it's number five in the UK. And then, you know, we'll wake up tomorrow and we're. I don't think that will happen. <laughs> Kate and Kate, McLennan and McCartney, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank oh, well, what a delight. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Standard issue for all women.